1: rightfromthedeep.com. Hey, everybody. Here's what's happening at Right From the Deep. Uh, Thanks, of course, to all our sponsors on Patreon. You wonderful people make this podcast possible. Yes, and we're grateful for you. And
0: special thanks to Tammy Partlow. She is a writer and a speaker at Women's Retreats. And her book is available now at all the places, Amazon and all that. Um, and it's called Blood Beneath the Pines. And it's a tale of prevailing justice set mostly in the Deep South. And you can learn more about Tammy and her book at her website, tammypartlow.com and it's t-a-m-m-y p-a-r-t-l-o-w.com. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Tammy. And And now, now,
1: here's here's the the show.
0: Welcome listeners. Welcome to the deep. We're so glad you're here with us today. So there's no way around it, guys. The world seems to have gone crazy. Our nation has never seen such turmoil and anger and violence. It's senseless and killing and destruction and hatred and vitriol and yeah. division. <laughs> it's and so now, terrible. Yeah. Even Christians are coming under fire. Social media is blocking people for hate speech when they share truth from sermons or devotionals. And people's accounts are being suspended for quoting the Bible. And Black Lives Matter activists are calling for destruction of all the church stained glass windows and all statues depicting a white Jesus and or Mary and governments are allowing bars to open but not so much churches right (laughs) so you know this is rough people are saying it's never been this awful before or has it
1: you know so many people have said that exact thing to me that it's never been this bad in the world or in America but I mean let's face it human history from the beginning of time is rife with conflict, anger, wars, rebellion, all the horrible things people do to each other. Consider the Old Testament. Nations were destroying nations all over the place. You could be out plowing your field and suddenly a a warring nation would come up and wipe you out and (laughs) you wouldn't even know why. So God's chosen people constantly rebelled against him to the point that he scattered them and let other nations take them captive and turn them into slaves, Yeah, listen to how Jeremiah
0: describes this, guys, in the beginning of Lamentations. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have
1: chased her down. She has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. How bitter is her fate? Her oppressors have become her masters and her enemies prosper for the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. Even when God freed them from Egypt, from slavery, it didn't get any better because they complained and grumbled and made their human leaders into the bad guys. Right. And then there's New Testament, right?
0: There's (laughs) wars and conflict and rebellion, and we got the Roman Empire crushing everybody, and one culture hating another, and one religious system trying to destroy all the others and political parties at war, no matter the cost to people. And world history is just, it overflows, guys, with similar turmoil conflict. I remember homeschooling my kids through world history, and it was like conqueror of the day. You know, it was just every day. It was, and they conquered this nation and wiped them out. And that's all it was. And then you have America, right? We've seen horrific wars and anger and plague and turmoil and the Revolutionary War and the Civil War and the Prohibition, which turned out to be organized crime birth, right? And then civil rights movement and the Detroit riots in 67, on and on. On.
1: And yes, what's happening now in 2020, it's terrible. But guys, we've been here before, too many times to count. And through it all, through all the anger and violence and division and sickness and bloodshed, God has been with us. So the question for us now isn't, has it ever been this bad? But the question is, how do we as Christians and writers respond to all that's going on, to the accusation of cultural appropriation as writers and of white privileged if you happen to have white skin and of systemic racism and so much more, how do we become part of the solution? Can we become part of the solution? Well, the answer is yes, by taking Matthew 5:9 to heart. So what does that say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known as the children of God. I love that. That's, that's yeah. who we're supposed to be, guys. We need
0: peacemakers, people who seek God's truth with a spirit. Like it says in James 3.17, it says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Amen. And as those who know the Prince of Peace right? Jesus is our prince of peace, and who are using our ability to write and serve that prince, we need to surrender our desire or our need to be right, and instead we need to draw the lost and angry and disenfranchised into God's peace, which doesn't necessarily mean unity of thought, guys. Sometimes it means agreeing to disagree, but with pure motives, being gentle, reasonable, remember what it said,
1: full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. So you may be asking yourself, what does that mean? What exactly is a peacemaker? Well, let me tell you what a peacemaker isn't. Right. Peacemakers aren't peacekeepers. They're not stepping in there to ensure everyone acts and talks and does what they're supposed to. They're not there to police, but to serve. Peacemakers don't try to gloss things over with cliches or appeasement to offer easy answers for complex conflicts. In fact, they don't offer answers at all, at least not their own answers. Peacemakers don't run from confrontation, nor do they stand by silent when wrong is done. And conversely, peacemakers don't jump into every debate or argument with both feet. Doing that results in two of the enemy's best deterrents to peace. Those two things are distraction and emotional entanglement. So let's talk about those for a minute.
0: Webster's defines a distraction as a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. There's nothing, guys, nothing Satan likes better than to get a purposeful believer, one who's seeking to draw others into peace, derailed. As this would-be peacemaker goes, you know, sailing down some rabbit trail, um, Satan's laughter is echoing in the supernatural realm, right? That's what he wants. He wants us to be distracted, maybe trying to engage in some discussion on social media that we shouldn't be,
1: As for emotional entanglements, boy, those are wicked. And there you are all focused on God's truth and peace. And then someone says something utterly false about you or God or something so insulting you want to strangle them. Not not that I would ever do such a thing. No, I I don't feel (laughs) that way at all. Or they write a one-star review that they hated your book because the cover was ugly. And it's so clear they didn't even read it. And wham, your emotions slam into full gear. And all you can think about is setting the record straight and so much for peace. Right. Erin was asking me before we started this podcast where the idea came to me about being a peacemaker, and I told her that it came from exactly these two things, from being distracted and from being caught up in emotional entanglements. When I started putting stuff on social media and hoping to stir some conversation with people, it ended up being me jumping into every argument and telling them you know well but this is what the scripture says and all this kind of stuff and I, I was so caught up in trying to fix these people and help them see what was right that I missed truly being a peacemaker and so I stepped back from it because it just it made me sick to my stomach the whole thing I stepped back from it and I thought, how do, I, how do I change this? How do I stop becoming part of the dissonance? How do I pour oil on troubled waters? And that's what led me to the thought of being a peacemaker. So please, as you seek in your own life and in your writing to be a peacemaker, keep an eye out for distractions and emotional entanglements. You can't afford either one of them, and neither can those. God is asking you to help. Right. So
0: what do godly peacemakers do? First, they ask God to deliver them from self-interest, okay? So as a result, then we don't look at things in terms of how it affects us personally. We can listen and we can understand based on God's perception, not our own. And then we focus on the glory of God and how... Can we best promote that glory in situations of conflict? And as peacemakers, you gotta reflect on God's word, considering others' perspectives and taking responsibility for our own actions and how they influence others. And above all, here, follow James 119. This is one of my favorite verses. I have lots of favorite verses. <laughs> this one says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is something that will not happen, I promise. It will not happen by accident. You have to purpose to do that. But imagine a world where everyone is quick to listen and slow to speak.
1: And slow to become angry. Right. I just, I I love that. Godly peacemakers pursue peace, but they understand that God is the only one who can ultimately bring peace Peacemakers are there as a bridge so that God can use them to draw people into a new understanding or realization. And we can do that in our conversations, in our relationships as peacemakers, and we can do that in what we write. They understand that peace as it's presented in the Bible is based on God's righteousness and right. justice. Think about that. Peace doesn't come to us because of our worth or even our actions or words or thoughts. It stems from God's righteousness and justice.
0: Let's let's help ourselves get our minds around that for a minute. Here's a few scriptures about God's righteousness and justice. Proverbs twenty four twelve says, "Shall not He render to every man according to his works?" What peace to know God is fair. And Deuteronomy thirty two four. God's work is perfect for all his ways are just. All of them. Guys, got that? All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. We're not at the mercy of a judge who can be bribed or influenced. God is righteous. All his
1: ways are just. Amen. Psalm 9, 7 through 8 says, but the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. From the very beginning, guys, he established his throne for judgment. And it goes on to say, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. And there it is again, fairness and equity. So godly peacemakers recognize that God's justice isn't tied to us and our character, but to him and his character. And they also know God's justice, which is the source of true peace, isn't tied to our human timetable. We see things that seem so wrong and sinful, and it's like the people who are doing it don't get punished. But guys, God's timetable is what matters. It's not our job. It's not a peacemaker's job to met out justice. We don't have the authority to do that. And God often uses the evil of this world to discipline and teach his people. It's not a happy thought but it's true. God's justice sometimes means the righteous suffer. When God sent the nation of Israel into exile, not every single person was sinning against him, but the nation had turned its back on him. And so he punished his people as a whole. America has been turning its back on him for decades. It may well be that the large scale violence and sin happening today is a result of God removing his hand of blessing from our nation. And if that's happening, friends. We need peacemakers more than ever. So
0: how should we do that? How do we go about being a peacemaker? And first and foremost is pray. Seek God's will. Does he want you to take on being a peacemaker in your life or in your writing? Well, probably because we're all called to being peacemakers because that's what children of God do. It's something we do. So we're all called to this how do we do this what is it it's helping people see a different point of view think about your writing helping people see a different point of view helping people see the humanity of everyone it's not just people like you that are human it's every human that's human to bring understanding and compassion but this has to be a mindset it has to be the way we train ourselves to think first and then we can write and speak as a peacemaker does. So that's why it starts with that prayer. It starts with seeking God and focusing on him because he's the
1: one who transforms our mind. And then next you have to pursue peace inside yourself. I mean, you can't pursue peace for others until you find God's peace within yourself. Ask God to set you free from the hindrances that keep you from his peace, that keep you from really listening to or showing respect for others Pursue peace inside yourself. I mean, you can't pursue peace for others until you find God's peace within yourself. And ask God to set you free from the things that hold you back from his peace or that keep you from really listening to or showing respect to others. What's keeping you from staying grounded in God so that when you speak or react, it's a place from his peace? That's especially important in our writing. We have to be so careful that we don't portray characters who come from a different side of an issue than we do as the villains. Right. You may not agree with everybody, but please don't write a novel of a young woman wanting an abortion and paint her as a villain. You can't paint the abortionist even as a monster. You have to acknowledge the truth that there are reasons for opposing views, and then show God's truth and the Spirit changing people. Right. And the third thing is listen. Listen
0: to those on all sides of the issues. You want to understand where those engaging in the dispute are coming from. Why are they having these different points of view? Listen and think about that. Always remember, our pasts influence our present. These people are going to come from their own pasts that have their own issues, and they're bringing all of this baggage. But it's real. It's real to them. You can't pass it off, even more than all of this our personal perspectives, our own pasts are going to influence us. And that doesn't mean it's okay to use the past as an excuse for bad behavior or to excuse it in the present, okay? But simply that a godly peacemaker and a godly writer needs to understand where people on both sides are coming from due to the experience and the emotions triggered by those experiences.
1: And then last, you need to admit when you're wrong. If you realize you've misunderstood something or that you didn't really think the way you thought you did, admit it. If you've come to understand that your words or actions or thoughts may have wounded someone else, admit it right. and ask for forgiveness. Humble yourself before God and those you seek to draw into peace. Right. And when you've come to that
0: place of God's peace within yourself, then you'll be open and sensitive to those times that God calls you into action as a peacemaker. Whether he calls you maybe to take part in a person or in some kind of disagreement or debate, or he calls you to address something specific in your writing. Whenever that happens, then you want to look at 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17 for a roadmap. And here's 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble.
1: So first, be like-minded, not with people around you, but be like-minded with Christ and with God. Ask them to strip you of self-interest so that your only desire is to draw others into peace and God's truth. Then be sympathetic, which means you can understand what others are feeling. Open yourself to the hurts and wounds of others. Care about what others' problems are in about what they're suffering with but do so without trying to assign blame to anyone and so be
0: loving that's next which means keeping 1 Corinthians 13:4 through 8 as your guideline love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Oh my gosh, that's so much. (laughs) Think about trying to do all of that, but this this is what we're called to. Thankfully, we have God helping us. And then be compassionate, meaning you're going to actively seek to relieve others' suffering. You're not, just, you're not just feeling with them. Now you're trying to help relieve it and be humble. Remember that we are not the one with all the answers because it's not about us. It's about God, and it's about allowing God to use us as he sees fit.
1: And then verses nine through 12 are the perfect guidelines for responding when those you are talking to or those who read your books get angry or frustrated with you or what you're saying or writing. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil or for us writers, keep your pen from evil and their lips from deceit. Speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Yes. So, now what
0: happens if you try doing as God is asking you, and you're trying to be a peacemaker? And it goes horribly wrong, (laughs) because it might. (laughs) That's where verses 13 through 17 come in. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Amen.
1: So... When we understand that, yes, the world has been full of chaos and violence before, and when we see the need and the blessing of peacemakers, especially in a world as divided as ours is right now, and when we understand how God can use us to be peacemakers in our community and relationships and in our writing, the condition of the world doesn't affect us so much. Because we're grounded in God's peace, secure in his justice and righteousness, and safe in the knowledge that this world is not our home. But while we're here, friends, we can be honored by and delight in his desire to use us to reveal him to a dark and hurting world. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at rightfromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast. So please share it with them. So until next time, Embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same.